0: This is Gaming and B.S. Yes, yes, yes. Here, can you hear now? I don't think anybody liked what you're doing there. What we're about to tell you,
1: God damn it, we're right. Heavy on the B.S. Heavy on the B.S. We totally wrecked our legal fund, dude. We are out. You know, if anything comes up next year, we get sued again. It's just we don't have it. We're gonna have to dig deep.
0: Hola. Happy holidays, this is episode 15 of Gaming and BS. I am your co-host Sean.
1: And I am Brett, indeed happy holidays to all.
0: So, before we get into the main topic, we are talking today about sci-fi RPGs, um, so before we get into that, we don't have any announcements unless Brett has one in his pocket.
1: No, nothing really, nothing new on the announcement end of things. No, we're good.
0: All right, let's go into Random Encounter quickly. Just a couple points in there in Random Encounter. So Phil Vecchione, friend of the show, blogger at Gnome Stew, engine publishing contributor, uh, Eureka 501 dramatic plots to inspire Game Master, masks, 1,000 memorable NPCs for any role-playing game. Um, He also has Never Unprepared, The Complete Game Master's Guide to Season Prep, and he also has Odyssey. So, no slouch in the RPG industry by any means, and he has uh, posted something on Gnome Stew. If you haven't checked out Gnome Stew, I think it's Gnome Stew, yeah, gnomestew.com. They blog about role-playing games. Go over there. Um, He he heard our episode 12 on game balance and weighs in on his thoughts about game balance. Um, so by all means there'll be a link in the show notes for you to check out there. So thanks. that was really,
1: that was really cool, Phil. I mean, that was, yeah, he could have, he could have right? Yeah. He could just want, you know what? I'm, I want to talk about game balance and never even mentioned Sean and I and the podcast here. So that was really cool. And, and I like gnomes too. I've been a fan of that, <clears throat> excuse me, of that website for quite a while. They've got some good stuff. I really think that, from a blog site perspective it's a really solid blog site i've on uh, my earlier bitch from other podcasts about you know blogs that are just these teeny little things that don't seem to have a lot of meat to them or basically no better than a google plus post um game uh, i think i think the gamers over at gnome stew do a really good job of it so it's a good blog to check out
0: yeah check it out for sure and then um also, an email from our buddy Austin. So he writes, Hey guys, I was thinking over the last few episodes there has been a lot of talk of stuff like Evercon, where it's run by younger gamers, and a few times Brett has talked about running for his kids. I'd be interested to hear you guys talk a bit about the ways gaming has and is changing through its new gamers and what has changed, for better or worse, for people trying to get into the hobby. Thanks, Austin. Thanks, Austin.
1: You know, I think wh- I read this, and uh, the first thing that I thought of was it's actually, in some ways it's easier, in some ways it's harder, and illustrate that point. My boys will say, okay, what, what's our next quest? Who do we go to to get the next quest? You know, they, they're they very episodic. They're very, because they play a lot of video games. They played Diablo. They played Skyrim or wherever it is. So they're looking for, if you will, the outline of the glowing thing to click on to say, oh, this is the new quest or go talk to this person. So they're constantly looking for the next thing to do, which is kind of cool because that means they're never just hanging out going, oh, I don't know what to do Dad." Uh, just entertain me. So they're always trying to find something that they can do and looking for places to get the next quest. The other thing that's kind of cool is the the nomenclature, all the terms and stuff, they get it. If you say a bardiche, like, oh, I know what a bardiche is. You say a glaive gets your arm, oh, I know what that is because they've seen it in the different games they've played. They know what a longbow is. They know elves are like this or whatever the case is. So that, that's kind of cool. They, they've got that background, even just the, uh, my boys having read a number of different fantasy novels and some of the sci-fi stuff they read in uh, movies, You know, being a lot more readily available than they were I think, shown back when you and I were kids. So it's pretty cool. The downside, of course, is that to get them to stop trying to treat D&D, which is what we're playing, uh, as a video game. You know, saying, Hey, <clears throat> there's no health bar under the monster. My uh, my oldest boy Connor would be like, Well how many hit points does it have left? I'm like, I'm not telling you that. Well, how do I know how difficult it is? I don't know, keep fighting, you know. So they don't have um they don't have the depth of knowledge that they would from some of the video games that provide instant info to you. You can see the little health bar go down on a creature. Um it'll tell you flat out that this is, you know, whatever level quest or whatever the case may be. And um when you clear out a dungeon, and a lot of those video games they're empty when you come back to them, and I don't do that to them, so they they go away back to town to heal up or whatever and come back, and it's a living thing, so it's pretty cool. I think it's um, and even when I've run at Evercon, the kids get it. They've got a lot of good uh, good terminology, a lot of good um, knowledge base to build off of, but some of it comes down to saying, remember that's like in a video game when you're at the tabletop. This is how it works. Once they get in the groove, it's pretty it's pretty cool and they're good at it, you know, when they're in it and they want to do it. You know, they have a good background. They want to experience gaming in just a different format. So, it's pretty cool. I think it uh, kind of a probably we could do a whole episode on this piece of it, but just a quick answer I think to Austin's question.
0: Yeah, that's good. I don't have much to add cuz I don't uh, I don't interact with kids ever since that small
1: Sean think, hates children the small episode. I don't yes. want to talk about punch that kid right in the head dude I was there it was horrible hey
0: man there's two sides to his, three sides to a story
1: yeah that kid had it coming
0: the truth and mine
1: exactly if that five-year-old hadn't lived off to you he wouldn't have his your boot in his ass that's the problem
0: it's not a tumor
1: oh
0: right thanks for writing in Austin much appreciated I know that uh, you listen to the show and thank you very much sir
1: absolutely it's a good question as I said I thought after reading this I thought you know I could we could probably do a whole episode just on how it's changed from when i was a kid to now but not today i think we can come back to that one though
0: yeah we will something to put on the list let's um let's knock out our buddy michael althauser
1: tired of reaching into a dirty sack to get your dice do you have to dump all of your dice on the table just to find the exact one you need
0: have a dice bag that is drab boring and just plain blah
1: well get yourself a dice bag from great out productions
0: Michael Althauser, not only the owner, but a gamer, makes quality handmade dice bags that can be printed with a custom logo, or you can choose from ones in his gallery.
1: Great Out Productions, maker of fine dice bags. Use the promo code GAMINGNVS to receive 10% off his website, greatout.etsy.com. Follow the link in our show notes. All right,
0: so let's get into the meat and potatoes of this Episode So science fiction, and the reason we brought this up was the last time we recorded, Brett and I, believe it or not, talk a little bit after the show. Uh, sometimes sometimes we realize the show that we recorded kind of sucked, and then we talk for like an hour and go, wow, we should really just record what we're saying right now. It's probably better. And it was somewhat one of those situations where we, um, well, so it's a little bit different because... Brett is actually
1: Well planning out a sci-fi. Planning out science fiction, yeah. Yeah, my my crew said, Hey, you know, we've been doing a lot of fantasy, we've done a lot of urban, modern-ish type of stuff. You know, what we haven't done in a long time, Brett, was really a really serious sci-fi game. So the first thing I had to do was start saying, Okay, what do you guys mean by sci-fi, right? How are we gonna define it? Are we talking Star Wars? Is that too space opera? Are we talking Star Trek? Do you guys want to go like hard sci-fi? And some of the group was like, yeah, kind of hard sci-fi. I'm like, well, what does hard sci-fi mean to you? I want artificial intelligence. I want to be able to play Ghost in the Shell type of thing. I want to be able to have aliens. I don't just want humans and and that type of thing. So it was really an interesting discussion over the past couple of months with them online and in person at the different game sessions when I've started to kind of put things together for what the uh, the story will be for it. And even looking at different game systems that are out there that I own or ones I've been looking at, you know, what what game system – you know, jokingly, to, to the other point, right, it's got a – the system will matter insofar as it'll uh, adhere to my earlier comments, you know, right, that I want it to – want to be able to ignore it when I want to, have it be something that the group is familiar with. It's not going to get in the way, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, where am I going to start even if I end up hacking it and throwing out 90% of the rules like I am want to do sometimes? Where do you start with that type of thing, especially when I've been playing fantasy for so long or a more modern setting for, for quite some time? And I said to Sean when we were chatting, I said, well, you know, like Star Wars is sci-fi. And, Sean, your response uh, was?
0: I don't know about that, brat."
1: So <laughs> no, nah, I think your said past,
0: was, Said past me.
1: <laughs> I think Sean's immediate response was, nah, Star Wars isn't really sci-fi. That's space opera.
0: I do think it's more space opera. And I think the science fiction piece of it that I was talking about um, – you know, in addition to what Brett had just said was, "We have a lot of folks that are in role playing games that tend to be more on the nerdy side of what they enjoy, like fantasy, but there's a lot more fantasy than there is science fiction, and somebody could drop us an email and say, no, ",I think you're crazy. I think there's just as much." Um, and it may and i don't know if that just goes back to the days of d and d being fantasy and that being the 300 pound gorilla and everything's kind of modeled after that i mean you've got so many fantasy rpgs if you go through DriveThru, i can't imagine if they were to categorize everything how much would fit under fantasy but what about science fiction and then so brett was going to do that and i said and again what he mentioned just to iterate reiterate is i said how do you how are you going to determine what to run and how to run it with science fiction? Because it's such a vast genre where you could be – some may think that Star Wars is, and then you look at something as much as um, Interstellar, the last movie, or if you even get into transhuman and, like, eclipse phase. How much of – how much how, – how crazy – because science fiction is can be totally crazy.
1: And, well, there's, a, there's a weird thing when it comes to fantasy. Like, you can have high magic – and in fantasy, because there's magic to it, you're like, "Well, it's fucking magic, man. It doesn't have to adhere to physics. It's magic. Magic doesn't behave the same way." You know, you can say that, and it just seems everybody seems to roll with it. The folks I've I've met with. But when you say, "Hey, I'm going to do a sci-fi game," and some folks are like, "Well, how do the laser guns work? That doesn't what you're saying doesn't make any sense." Oh, they're like Star Wars blasters. Well, that's not realistic. You can't possibly have a lightsaber because a plasma bolt. Blah blah blah. And other folks are like, no, that's perfectly sci-fi. That's um, whatever it is. So I think it kind of comes down to how much physics, astrophysics, you know, whatever it is I want to get into, a molecular science behind, <laughs> behind my sci-fi setting to make it palatable for everybody. Because even if I grab Warhammer 40K, that's kind of sci-fi, but there's, I mean, it's got bull throwers. It's really, I mean, there, there's some science aspects to it. But it's basically fantasy with you know bigger armor and and guns. You know I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, and we didn't go. I didn't go into Wikipedia and look up science fiction and the definition where it would state it out. And another so going into some of that, I mean, is Serenity and Firefly, science fiction. I mean, it's some would say it's like <clears throat> space cowboy because it's six shooters. So if you're not familiar, go and watch Firefly. If you're watching this, don't. Go watch Fire. Just stop the episode and go watch Firefly. Absolutely, Jesus. Anyways, it's um it's in the future, and they colonize space. But you know, when you get out to the fringes, the resources are thin, so they're still using six shooters and horses. And so, is that science fiction? While well, they get in the ship and they fly around to different planets, I don't know. So that's a whole nother Who that's a debate. Who knows.
1: I mean I'm looking at Wikipedia right now and the first oh, line. Oh geez. no you didn't science fiction is difficult to define it as it includes a wide variety of subgenres and themes. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it goes into yeah, go. Little Robert Heinlein, Sterling, all sorts of guys that are, you know, authors or into it, futurists and so forth. So I guess when it comes down to it for me, is if I go too crazy, right, part of it for me is it's kind of the expectations versus um Anything else with my group, and it comes back to we've talked about this before. We've got to talk to talk to your group and you see what it is that they want to do. If my group were to say, look, I really want to do this crazy transhuman thing where, you know, the physical body is gone and I'm i I'm an entity, I'm total artificial intelligence, or I have, you know, transcended my human body and I'm now in this other thing, I don't want to do that. You know, <clears throat> that really doesn't interest me at all. I know a couple of guys in my group are like, Oh yeah, I could totally get into that. But they're they easily acquiesce down to something a little less hardcore it's almost like the uh, if you say really high fantasy like fantasy to a ninth degree that huge bigger than big type of magic setup and in the other direction then to to sci-fi is i'm like look that's that's too much that's too much for me and if nothing else i can't wrap my brain around some of it and i just i just can't get into it
0: so how do you how do you I need to stop saying so. My wife's like, you say so too many times. Now everybody's going to be picking that up all the time. I'm trying to curb that habit. Anyways. So. Yeah. Oh. Um, anyway. Uh, how do you set the expectations with your gaming group if you're going to run sci-fi? Now, this may be as easy as we're going to run a particular game, and within that game... You know what's, what it entails. So when you talk about Traveler, yeah, I think Traveler people read the book and they can kind of go, oh, I, I got it. It's not Eclipse Phase, which is heavy transhumanism.
1: Yeah, if I'm running the Firefly RPG or the um, Star Trek or Star Wars RPG, you got it locked. The other thing I do is this one is actually going to be more based on – I kind of – Blade Runner, basically, is one of the, is one of the founding pieces of it because it's going to be an investigative type of thing because that's one of the things my group likes and I really love. But that's not enough. So we said, well, think about that plus, like, the I am robot type of thing. And the guy's like, oh, I didn't see the movie. I can't stand Will Smith. Or, oh, I didn't think the plot. And I said, but you understand the premise behind it, though, right? You know, artificial intelligence because I want some of that. Oh, yeah, okay. <clears throat> so we basically reached across the different movies and books that we had all read there that we had in common, found that common ground and said, I want to start with this as my premise. This is the the look and feel that I want. What do you guys want to bolt onto that to add or to unbolt from it to subtract something that you don't you don't think is enough? So that was the way I started. I didn't even start with system because I'm like, there's a ton of different systems out there, guys. You all know how we game. We'll, we'll make it up as we go if we have to. I can use almost anything. But what do you guys want to have from a setting and a science level, if you will? <clears throat> Much like in my fantasy stuff i 'll say, look, this is a low magic game or whatever or a fantasy noir, and they get that I'd have the same type of conversation there, but to help illustrate it appropriately with the group, we went to the books and the movies and the t v shows that we had seen regularly or that we at least shared shared experience with that so that we could kind of pick pick them apart and take the juicy bits we wanted to add into what we were doing
0: so you used books as references in t v shows and movies.
1: Absolutely. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. It wasn't. Look, it wasn't looking at those saying, "I want to play in that property." Right. I wasn't saying I want to play right in the Star Trek's pro- property or the, even the Serenity Firefly property. But it was just saying, "That's the look and feel we want. I like that type of thing." And <clears throat> because we understood where Blade Runner started at, okay, this is the type of technology in there. Certain things happen. This is okay there were no aliens in there, but they're like, Hey, I really want some aliens involved. I said, okay. So you're thinking like a star Trek type aliens. Yeah. Something kind of like that. You know, we were able to pull apart different components of it. And um, even if you just said, look, I want star Trek, but with more X, or I want, you know, totally like firefly serenity type of stuff, but I really want to jack it up and have aliens involved in it. Well, you have a base and then you can plug in the other components.
0: Are you going – you could totally um, jump jump the shark on it. Not even jump the shark because that's negative, but you could totally put in something that's not within there what they would be expecting. I think that would be cool. Oh, okay, that's what they want. And Give them like, all of it up until a point and then get
1: wacky. Well, that's kind of the, one of the cool things, even when you run a low magic game, right? One of the fun things when you're reading um – Lower powered fantasy is that that archmage or that crazy cleric or somebody summons that demon or has found a lost spell or something (coughs) and change that over so that it's on uh, it's on the sci fi side right. Somebody's invented the death ray. Someone has invented a crazy variation of artificial intelligence or the alien. A new alien race has just arrived, and your player character um, could choose to you know can't be that because I'm going to introduce this wacky new thing. Or, or whatever it might be so there's that opportunity to to mess with expectations a bit but it's more from the game master NPC world building side I think
0: so there, I think there's uh again I use the word so so I'm trying to get that out of my system that's okay you're trying to I mean there's a few different um all right so I think depending on the game that you play um we can set the stage on what you would deem um, acceptable. I think it's pretty straightforward. If you go, I'm going to pick Traveler and then it lays everything out in Traveler. But are you doing homebrew?
1: Um, Probably from a a world, yeah. But from a system perspective, I'm looking at uh, Traveler, Ashen Stars, and even um, Star Frontiers. I still have my Star Frontiers copies and Zebulon's Guide and so forth. So I'm looking at those. I even grabbed a copy of... uh, excuse me, Stars Without Number that you sent to me. Uh you sent me a link to that. I grabbed that. And there was another one another guy had uh hit me up with on Google Plus from your post. I pulled that down as another free copy off a of drive through RPG, looked at that. So I'm trying to decide what I want to do. One of my uh, players threw out, hey you could use the new World of Darkness system as a as the background for it too. We all know that really well. We could start there too. So we didn't pick anything from a system perspective that laid it out, right? If I was playing pure traveler, <clears throat> like, okay, yeah, this is how, this is how you play traveler. And it, you know, lays, lays out like that. Right. Um, there's almost more like we're approaching it from a GURPS standpoint, right? Where you, uh, you, there's GURPS transhuman space, and there's various different GURPS, uh, books that could, that could lay certain things out for you, but we're approaching it almost like it's going to be system agnostic and that will have to fit. Then we'll tweak it in some way to fit the world most likely. So, I mean, that, that, your point, though, if we were playing Star Wars, like we were talking about one of our very first podcasts, it's the Star Wars system and the Star Wars world is the Star Wars world. Yeah, you can mess with it as a game master of players, but there are Jedi, there are Sith, there's this, there's that, there's a Greedo stuff, there's the huts. there's this, this, and this. They You're expecting that to be there because if it's not there, it's not that particular, you know, IP, right? has to have it or it's not the same thing.
0: So, I'm... I don't know what I would do to run science fiction because I don't know. So we are play Star Wars,
1: though. Uh, I, mean, you well, play
0: Star I don't Wars. know if it's. I mean, Star Wars. I don't know if I would. I would consider Star Wars science fiction, um, and somebody could debate me on that. But um, yeah. So science fiction. Um. Anyways, I. But I think we're talking about two different things. We're talking about system and setting, and you haven't determined setting or. Sorry, you haven't determined system yet.
1: No, I've got the setting, uh, the goods behind it, the alien races, how I want to do AI and so forth. And now it's a matter of looking through the different systems that I have access to and saying, hey, which one is actually going to work well with the way my group plays to my earlier points? You know, the group plays a certain way and I run a certain way, which one fits appropriately and which one has the stuff I want in it. If I grab something that doesn't have lasers, it doesn't have... Um, uh, rules for robots and some of those components in it or at least pieces that I can work with. I, I don't want to have to build everything from scratch. I at least want a starting point but <clears throat> I don't want to be with a system that I feel locked into, you know, that just won't work uh, or um, just too much work excuse me, to uh, bend it to my will. So...
0: If I were a player in your group I wonder...
1: I'd kick you out. You're an ass.
0: I know but that aside... I think here is one thing that kind of trips me up with science fiction or it could be any particular game um, and that's not necessarily science fiction. It could even be fantasy is if you don't know enough about it as a player. So if if my player character is in that world, how much uh, inherent knowledge should the player character know? And how are you going to convey that in your science fiction game? Are you going to write up like this huge manual and say, here is everything you need to know. And here's a brief history or how are you going to do that?
1: Well, one of the things I did was I have, I have the, uh, the board game murder city and murder city was put out by white wolf uh, a number of years ago. I believe it's out of print. Now I have a copy of it and it's very, um, the tone in it has got, it's got pull quotes, it's got write-ups, all this stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I can use this, this flavor text, and provide it to my players because it's very Blade Runner-y. And that helps to convey the pieces of it. It also has aliens. It also has artificial intelligence. So I'm like, okay, I can take a lot of this flavor text and throw it out there. And good flavor text, if you write it, um, gives you enough to um, provide an outline and not necessarily all the details. So if I go in and say you are uh, a troubleshooter you work for the police or as an alien... Uh, Or how humans view this version of Alien or whatever the case may be. There's bits and pieces if you provide that type of write-up to them. That helps. And because we only meet once a month, I've got time. I have basically until the end of uh, of January to get a number of different things written up. And we have a a wiki page that we use. So I'm posting pieces out there. And, of course, in our Google Plus um, community that I built for this storyline, I put up bits and pieces, images that I I go through... um, Google images, find stuff that I feel is evocative of what the group has described to me and how I'm translating that, and put up there going, boom, guys, this is what Murder City feels like. This is what it feels like to be at the bottom of a 20 story, you know, or a 20 level, if you will, sci fi setting. This is dark, nasty, dank thing. You're in the very bottom street side. <clears throat> oh, and this is what it looks like when you're on level 19 and you're richer than all holy hell and you're looking down at everybody else. There's hover cars and then Dion Lights talked about some of the different drugs and medical technology and so forth. And I stole some of it just straight from Star Frontiers because like I said, I have that game. I'm actually very familiar with it because I played that incessantly in high school. So I picked some of the races out of there, out of there, like the Brusk, the Arzarian, the Drellacites, and they were just they were common. I have a lot of knowledge on them. So again, provided flavor test text to the group. So they're like, oh, I have enough information I can then build off of. I don't have to provide the nth detail and everything but it's enough that my group should be able to grab it and say, Brett, you drop three hints on this character race. I want to take that and say that it means X, Y, and Z. Does that make sense? So we're going to build some of that world together as we go.
0: How do they know what to make? I limit them. <laughs> Are you going to make them all human? Is that the... uh, No,
1: I've got, there's the alien races. There's artificial intelligence, mobile artificial intelligence. I've called it, uh, where basically they're in an android-style body, and then also humans. And I've given them the races, and then there's basically backgrounds that are acceptable for the adventure, for the storyline. Saying, hey, it's investigative type of things. You can be a hard-boiled detective. You can be an inquisitive alien. You could be artificial intelligence that works for this. You could be a corporate suit or a corporate agent of some sort. So giving them certain blocks that they can fit into. And when you're building a world for me, or if you're going to do the uh, the joint world building, where a lot of you are starting from ground zero, you've just got base knowledge. Giving a person a role like that, or limited options, but are still options enough that you could really sink your teeth into for the setting, that'll help them grab onto it and build something that they can work with.
0: Intriguing.
1: What's well, kind of the whole concept of uh, if you're going to build something from scratch, be it sci-fi or fantasy? If you want – the way I do it anyway is to give you enough flavor and information that you can build off of it. Even if you grab the first <clears throat> um, the Greyhawk box sets or the Forgotten Realms box sets, some of the first stuff, it wasn't fully laid out. It's not possible, right, to have everything, everything, everything. Right. It's just yeah. not going to happen. Well, and you but don't you want it enough. that way. Yeah. No, you don't. You want to have enough that you can start with. <clears throat> I'm not going to publish this world. I'm not going to make money off this world because I don't care about doing that. All I care about is telling a good story with my friends. So, we'll take it. The guys will make some characters. They'll send me their character right up. So, you're like, wow, that's cool. I'll take this piece and build on this thing. Someone's going to want to have some kind of person who came from another planet initially. They weren't born and raised on Earth because it's going to start on Earth. They're going to be like, hey, I know a guy who's a pilot, or <clears throat> I'm an ex-military spaceship guy, and therefore I have I, I want to have that background because I really want to fly a spaceship at some point. If somebody's really digging on that, then yeah, I'll, I can work that in. There's no reason we can't.
0: So then it's, you know, with GURPS, they have um, text levels which come in handy. Um, are you – so? and that was going to be one of my questions is where are you going to base it, if it's going to be based out of, like, um, you know, Earth or
1: – We're going to start We're going to start on Earth, and I've been actually pulling out my uh, GURPS books, checking through the tech levels to see um, how that would translate. And GURPS may well be the system – that I pull out simply because it is so flexible. And with those tech levels, it helps you really say, hey, tech level X, and it's uh, not ready-made because there's still always work to be done with herbs, But at least it flows across. You can say, oh, tech level four, tech level five, six, whatever, and you can look over and then everything maps or should hopefully be able to map it to that tech level to make it easier.
0: Well, the nice thing with tech levels is because you can set the tech level for your group and then also set the tech level for... Different environments within the campaign. So if you're running science fiction, you can run a tech level. I don't know. I think it's higher the, the higher the more technical. So you could run a tech level five, GURPS game with a bunch of like you know warp speed and faster than light travel and things like that. And then if you get to a particular world, it doesn't have to adhere necessarily to to that. Or it could be tech level three. Yeah, it's encounter. the old Star Trek thing. Yeah. It's
1: the old Star Trek thing, right, where they have a certain amount of technology they'll run into. Oh, my God, this is totally advanced or holy shit, they're, you know, 10 generations behind us. We're way advanced. We're like gods to these people. So the cool thing with a GURPS-type environment is that when you're building it on the fly like this or with people, that type of system has all of these components built into it and the, the base mechanics of it are all the same. But at least it helps give you a good – I don't want to do this. a good comparison point, a good, you know, uh, compare and contrast with where you started. That's something like this is a, if you, I guess, to get really nuts and bolts, this is a tech level five. This is a TL nine. Holy shit. That's a nine compared to my five. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, as opposed to trying to talk it out. Sometimes just having that label, if you will, a stamp on it makes it a little bit easier.
0: Yeah. What about monsters? Dun, 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 dun. Yeah.
1: Depending where we end up going, right? I mean, if you're the start on Earth, let's say we never leave Earth. So I've got aliens. <clears throat> aliens in and of themselves can be, can be seen as monsters. I have at least one race that is not a player race. So that itself is kind of monster-like. The other component is that a storyline could easily be um, something sh- somebody shows up from some planet and the ship is infested. Space herpes, right? I mean, <laughs> you have um, you can bring critters to the planet, then you got to deal with the issue. Or you're flying from point A to point B tra- and transporting cargo. Within the cargo is the rare super striped polka dotted fang jabberwock lizard, or something, or whatever the hell you want to do. Yeah, that's a nice face.
0: <laughs> that's crazy.
1: Um, but one of the things that I never liked a lot about the old Star Frontiers game was my perception with my friends and I would run it was there was always this kind of, how do I make D and D like monsters in it? And I get that going to strange, crazy places in the universe, you're going to run into creatures that are not native to earth. They're going to have different components or, you know, the way they understand certain things, something can breathe water easier and not air than it would on earth where it's backwards or other cases. And some of that is, is part of the fun, but, um, I don't put a huge, Push on myself saying, oh, I have to come up with 16 new versions of orc or goblin or something or kobolds and dragons to, to fill that void. I think oftentimes the sci-fi experience itself has enough of uh, the exploratory, the strange, and the dangerous to uh, take the place of monsters.
0: So if you were going pitch, to pitch somebody or if somebody were to ask you somewhere about the game you're you're going – you're running, you're going to run – or let's say you ran into me and said, Hey Sean, I'm running this science fiction game. I'd be I uh, wonder if you have any interest in, in checking it out. And I say, Well, tell me a little bit about it. What would your thirty second elevator speech be?
1: Hmm. Let me see.
0: Maybe it's too early in the process, I don't know.
1: Well it's goofy because I didn't the way my group runs, we we talk it out so I don't necessarily have to come in with the pitch, but I mean um, I would say, Look, it's it's kind of a sci fi noir type of thing. Think Blade Runner but it has the I Am Robot Android artificial intelligence components and um, uh, aliens as well. Not like crazy, <clears throat> over-the-top, um, uh, how do I say this, um, some uh, insane weirdness within uh, Star Trek, but we're going to have certain aliens that can interact with humans and so forth. So a few playable races that you can me- that you can mess with. <clears throat> Be an investigative game, start on Earth. You could maybe end up on another planet or on a ship. Or on a space station or something like that, but your starting point will be Earth, and the adventure and the storylines will just take you to wherever you go from there. I think if it's investigative,
0: you got to go Ash and Stars. No,
1: that's really tempting just because of it's got the gumshoe component, which I like. Um, so I might be heading in that direction. The other piece, though, is that it's not like you can't do. I mean. For Christ's sake, Star Trek, the TV show is all investigative. Right? Well, that's true. <laughs> Essentially, You mean you, you go from place to place, you run into a problem, figure out what the hell do I do? Beam down to the planet, I can't get back. How do I get back? Uh, trying to figure out how this new alien race operates or works. So, And yeah. even in Firefly, they were planning, planning heists and different things on a regular basis, too.
0: For those not in the know, um, Ashen Stars was uh, published by Pelgrim Press, and it uses the gumshoe system by Robin Laws. Huh, follow that all? But basically, it's a um, the gumshoe system is more an investigative type of system to facilitate investigation, and Ashen Stars is the science fiction component of that. And then they have the Trail of Cthulhu, which is Cthulhu-based. Of the yep. shoe system. And then they have the Esoterios, which are the cult investigators. And then they have Knight's Black Agents, which is a vampire-based
1: investigative. Yeah, that one's like Jason Bourne versus Vampires, where you are Jason Bourne. Yeah. Ashen Stars has um, – I've been looking into it. It has alien races built right into it. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. It's got you know spaceships, laser guns, and all that cool stuff. So, I mean, it's got – a lot of the components that I think would be interesting, or at least fit into what I'm trying to do. But again, I'm still still sorting around. Now, if you were going to run, or t- tip it on you, oh uh, no, you didn't. If you got to run a star a sci fi game, you know, said, hey, you know, we got your group wants to run. You wrapped up your five e game on roll twenty, and they said this was really cool. We'd like okay. to do a sci fi game. Does that something you even have any interest in running, or are you like you know what fantasy is just better for me and I don't like sci-fi?
0: I've wanted to run a good science fiction campaign for quite some time, but i I have these uh, I have these hangups in wanting to make that happen, and a lot of it has to do with what we're kind of talking about is one is system, two is expectations. And uh, like tech level and things like that, monsters, bringing it all together. So, and I think it, I think it would involve a lot of work. I'm a lazy. I'm a lazy GM.
1: Well, that's why you'd have to grab a game like a Action Stars or a yeah. Gamma World even right, or, or Traveler, where it's built in for you. Run it as it's written, and not do your homebrew world type of thing. If you don't do homebrew world, there's plenty of good stuff out there. Yeah. I actually find that the bigger problem for me is um, the popularity of sci-fi gaming, at least where I am, is doesn't feel as much as fantasy. I could tell somebody, anybody, I was running a fantasy game and <clears throat> one of the thirty forty systems of, of fantasy I have or some variation of it, hey, I'm going to play this, and people would be like, oh, yeah, that sounds good, or some different, or even horror. It, maybe it's just the circles I run in. You know, Cthulhu or World of Darkness and some of that stuff is just – I can find players for that easier than I can with sci-fi. It seems like right. when I talk sci-fi, this, the argument of, well, I don't know if that's really sci-fi or not, or that's not really how laser guns work. I, I end up with that guy who is the sci-fi geek. And yeah. he knows everything about transporter technology. And you can't possibly do that to molecules for never. I'm like, oh, Jesus, dude, really? The ability to suspend disbelief in sci-fi seems lacking strongly in certain folks that I run.
0: And that was part of kind of our discussion is when you start talking about science fiction and you get into like tech levels and what you want to offer, I mean, you could get into, do you do, you know, do you use transports? Do you do the fourth dimensions? Um, It can get really cool. Cool. I don't know. People may just like flip out on, well, this isn't, this, this is dumb. This isn't how it's going to work. But if you watch Interstellar, and I, I bring that back to that movie because it, it has, it's, if you haven't seen it, the premises where, you know, Earth is going to die and we set out to the stars to, and there's a scientist and they've, they've researched it and they've been able to, you know, go through to another area of the universe to hopefully land humans on. And it got a little got a little wacky. Well, my opinion, it got a little wacky. I'll let you go and see it because it's still new and not out on video. But can, do you incorporate something like that into the game? I with Brett, with heat what he's looking for, I think it's pretty straightforward, which is pretty nice. Me, um Yeah, I would probably have to use a pre-configured setting, and if that setting had a system tied to it, then I would probably go with that. Um, here's a good example of what I get hung up on. So my buddy is very Star Trek. He loves Star Trek. uh, He is the biggest Star Trek geek I know. He thinks he's Captain
1: Kirk. Which is okay. James is not bad. And he could, right. He could be, he
0: could, he could think he's like the Americans, the guy from American Psycho. But he chooses Captain Kirk, which I don't think is a bad consolation. No, I mean, if, you, if,
1: if those are the only two options you have, thank you, right. Mister Kirk. Right? Yeah. And
0: run it. And my buddy Jimmy runs Star Trek pretty well. And the thing is that I've kind of wondered about Star Trek and how to run it properly is because you don't know what you don't know. And even as a player character, if you have a player character and you have stats. Uh, as a GM, you really have to kind of spoon feed a lot of the, the things that those people would need. So if you watch a, and I refer to more of the, I mean, it could be even next generation, but I refer to a lot of the original um, series. When when they come up with creative things to do to combat a particular threat or menace, you know they don't. You're never going to come up with that in. In your game, you yourself as a player, maybe you will, maybe, maybe there are, I mean, maybe I'm selling players short with their ability to come up with wacky ideas. And then the GM going, well, I don't know, that may just work. What do you, you want to try it? And then it works that way because science fiction is out there. And I think as things go on, like the funny thing is, is if you read Neuromancer, which is like cyberpunk and you get to, I mean, they he still had pay phones in that book. And then you look at it today and there's not a pay phone in miles around you can't even see so it's so far advanced and then i think as time goes on and we become more um i mean we have digital printers now so the transporter isn't i always thought that was kind of cool like wireless printing where you could print you would receive a file and then print it and that's just you know kind of two-dimensional right you're printing words on a document. But once you get into 3D printing, who is to say they can't just kind of say, hey, scan this item and then print it over in Sean's house. So it's not necessarily transporting itself. Like you're not taking a physical object and
1: like moving it. We're taking the concept. You can recreate it, right? Right. It's like uh, – You can create another – a copy or a clone of the the item. I think when it comes to uh, IP, right, intellectual property or a setting – or uh, something along those lines, Star Wars, Star Trek, whatever it is, if you play it and you have that one person in your group is like, oh, my God, I'm like the biggest Star Wars fanatic, chances are I'm going to disappoint them. So I tend to shy away from those things simply because I never know as much about some of those properties as other people do. I'm a very big Tolkien fan, right? I love my Hobbit, Lord of the Rings stuff. I know a ton of stuff about it. However, if I'm running a Middle-Earth setting with you, and um, unless I'm the smartest Middle-Earth guy at the table... You tend to, you know, the, the, the players, if they know a lot more about it and they don't interact appropriately, right? If you've got a good player who knows Star Trek <clears throat> a thousand times better than me, which is not that hard, and you can say, well, actually, Brett, this, that, and the other thing, or he can help work with you, you know, how the Romulans should behave or um, Vulcans don't do that and that's really not an appropriate name or this doesn't fit that way or actually that happened in episode whatever versus this other one. If you get a good back and forth with those folks, you can milk a lot of that data from your players. But if the player is there and they're going to be the rules lawyer version of sci-fi, and maybe this is just me, but any time I've played in a property game, um, and I'm going to pick on uh, Star Wars back when I try to think it was the West End Games version, I made it way the hell back, Star Trek, or anything like that, I, I end up getting... It's like setting lawyers as opposed to rules lawyers. Yeah. I get the setting lawyers, the the guy who knows more about it, and he's a complete ass. So if you are that guy, (laughs) you know a shit done more about Star Trek than Brett does, which is, as I say, not hard. And I'm running a Star Trek game. My request and my advice to you is you want to be a good player, help your game master with your knowledge. Give him that data so he can work with it. When you see him stuck on something, say, well, actually, you know what, Brett, I think you're right. The Romulans would act in this way. Or You know what? This group would never do that. The Klingons actually have a, a peace treaty based on the uh, Stardate, you're telling me. So that really wouldn't happen. Hey, thank you much, Sean. I'm good with that. Off we go. <clears throat> As opposed to that would never happen. The Romulans and the Klingons have never had a peace since Stardate, blah, blah. Fuck. <laughs> and that happens to me every time I play in a, a, uh, a property. Well, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. That's, yeah.
0: Well, and that's with any property fantasy, too. I
1: think it's harder. I think it happens more in sci-fi. Because more people – I've never played Doctor Who, but I I will bet you dollars to donuts the Doctor Who folks do the same bloody thing. And I think there's more people that are like crazy sci-fi property and comic book property probably is close second if not right on top of it where they know the property inside and out. And uh, if you don't know it as well as they do, they get real pissy about it.
0: Yeah, I can get that. Uh, I can totally see that. Now, I think with science fiction, the one thing that appeals to me and one thing that I think I brought up in the past with um, even fantasy is the lack of wonderment. So it's cool when you talk about your kids and they go, oh, a troll, and they don't know what it's called. They just know the description, and then they regenerate, and they try to figure out, right? That's what we went through when we were 10, 13, 15 years old, learning D&D and role-playing games and monster manual stuff. And then now it's like you run into it and it's like, oh, goblins, up oh, trolls, I throw fire on it. You know, come on, really? Does your character even know that? Now with science fiction, I mean, you can really, if you don't adhere to a property, because I think that's a, um, whoops, I think that is a uh, shortcoming because if you go to a property, there's a preconceived notion and preconceived knowledge, which is kind of good and kind of bad. If you are the... If you're the bomb, like if you are – if you know that stuff really well, I'm hoping that's the GM. But if you're not the GM and you're the player, that can be a problem like Brett said. Um, but there is a part of science fiction to me that would be really cool to run that isn't an IP. Um, and again, what, what Brett is, you know, IP intellectual property. So you're talking like Serenity, Firefly, Star Trek – um, traveler, maybe not, but um,
1: those well, That's are- why I, I really think in sci-fi even more than fantasy, f- for me anyway, is that taking a base, even if it's an IP, saying, hey, look, it's going to be like Star Trek, but I'm going to do this other thing. So you have a base <clears throat> for people to start with and doing some homebrew world setting or starting it without – it's great in-depth knowledge, giving everybody saying this is where we're starting from and giving them pieces that are enough to work off of. And I, I know that's probably easier said than done. It's just something that uh, that my group and I have been doing for years, and, and it comes easy to me. Uh, it doesn't mean it's it, I'm better or anything like that. It's just it just um, I've found that if I give everybody kind of a base starting point, and then allow the players to help me define the world as we go, some of that amazing wonderment is still there because right. the first time they run into <clears throat> this creature, the first time somebody's playing uh, Adrallacite from the from the Star Frontiers game, which is basically this amorphous blob-type thing that can grow pseudopods and various other things, the first time one of my players, if they play that, even if they've played it way back in the day when they ever played Star Star Frontiers, they're going to say, Hey, Brett, it says here that I can grow a pseudopod, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it really thin so I can stretch on the door and unlock it from the other side or whatever the case is. And as we're doing those things and they're reading the bits and pieces I give them, they're going to help expand and create... The canon for how those races interact and how the world is built and, you know, what planets would be nearby because we're going to – I can have a skeleton, but if I build too much at once for sci-fi, it'll go crazy. I mean, honestly, it's too much at once for any setting, in my opinion. Just don't have to do everything all the way. You need enough to build with. You know, start with where you're going to start, have sketches in the distance, and then fill it in as you guys go.
0: Yeah, there is a bit of science fiction that really, really appeals to me, and i I would love, and it's probably one of the few genre that I haven't. Well, I mean, I haven't run a lot, but I've run modern, I've run Star Wars, space opera, I think fantasy, but science fiction is, man, that's that's cool stuff. And I think even if you use an intellectual property, if you were to use even Star Trek, but you made it where it was the time that they're just kind of venturing out and they don't know anything. So even if it's like just before the original series and you get them to go out and starting to explore the world, like, hey, we just discovered warp drive and then we have literally a handful of ships that are able to leave our own galaxy and we want you to go out there and report back. I think that's really cool. I just and I get so bummed because the sense of wonderment in RPGs to me is kind of is really putting a damper on. That's part of the growing up, right? I think as we grow <laughs> up, I guess just normal people, the more we grow up, I, I know tons of people that don't roleplay uh, anymore and they don't game because they they're just like I got I got so much more responsibility and I'm an adult now, which totally bums me out when I talk to those folks. I'm like, oh man, you you're really missing out on. Stuff that would be really, you know, happy and kind of, you know, get you away from reality and the doldrum of day to day work and and garbage you got to put up with. I also think that goes along with being a player and a, and a GM and a role playing gamer. Is I even sometimes think like, oh, I'm gonna play D and D. Yeah, it's gonna have an encounter and it's gonna be have monsters and monsters that I probably know about and sometimes. But
1: does fantasy does fantasy grab you as a better? Better's horrible word but as a more readily available escape you know to do escape is fiction or to to do the rpg than it is sci-fi for some reason <clears throat> i always think of science fiction as more work and i don't know why well right? i totally agree with that i don't yeah. i don't get it i don't get it I go, oh guys want to run a sci-fi game fuck this is gonna be hard i think it's, i'm like why is this hard i don't get why i don't and i think it's in my head but i'm like this shouldn't be that hard christ there's Savage Worlds has last parsec there's traveler there's eclipse phase star trek gamma world action stars all this stuff is out there like it can't be that hard so you start looking like oh it's not that big a deal yeah i want to change this i want to have a different wor- world or uh, or an alien race or something but it just and maybe this is just you and i man but i i, I feel that when i'm going to run a star a sci-fi game it feels like there's more pressure to make it believable than it is in a fantasy game. Yeah. it's got to be. It's got to be more realistic in some fashion. Where I've got to know enough about physics and the different sciences to really make sure that hey, if the water is green on this other planet because of something, I have to make sure that it. Fuck, I've got all the the math right. It feels like I have to have all that, and I, you know, I I can't. I just can't. I, f- I feel like that's just, it's just fuck. I don't want to put the time into it. So. Why is the water green over here? Because it's magic. The Elven water is green. Everyone goes, "Oh yes, Elven water is green." That totally makes sense, and everyone just willfully hangs the you know the disbelief on the hook. They're fine. Whoop, I, I'm fine with that. But when I do it with sci-fi, people, are like, oh, I don't know, Brett. Carbon-based life forms, there's no conceivable way. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's, it just yeah. feels like science class or more work for me. And, and maybe this is just my hang-up. I don't know. Yeah,
0: I don't know. And I do see where you're coming from. I don't know if there's necessarily a quick answer to addressing some of that. Um, yeah, because sci- when you talk about science fiction, you. I mean, even as we go more further further on and learning more about science and what is actually possible, how is that going to impact even how we game? And learn about science fiction. But I do see what you're getting at is like, well, you know, and it's funny because Star Wars can have Cloud City, but nobody really questions. I mean, there are some nerds that will be like, oh, that's technically impossible because they do not will be able to, you know.
1: We'll just look at the brawl that happened over a lightsaber with a cross guard. I mean, that right. fucking man <laughs> right. over a lightsaber with a cross guard. It was like, oh my God. I'm so like, you're going
0: to have your, you're going to, I guess in short, you're going to have your skeptics and you're going to have your people that poo poo, you know, what you What you put out there, but I also think that um, I don't know. I think I think it would be cool if I played in an awesome star. I keep saying star and like you, but if I played in a science fiction game, I do think it's a lot more work because I think if you want to make it kind of cool, um, unless you use an intellectual property, you want to make it cool to the point of belief, but not violate physics like you said but you know frankly i don't know if that even matters anymore because so i'm a firm believer that if you can think it it can be true because there's just so much out there and there's i mean you could talk about multi-dimensional the multi-dimensions and all kinds of stuff and i can get into philosophical where philosophy meets um science you know and i don't want to get into that now but anyways i think it would be cool because um it would be like the coolest GM playground because you could do whatever you want and the players would be like, oh, that's not right. And it's like, well, how do you know? Like maybe there's something out there that's just more bigger than you are and more – I mean we are – I or saw I, I saw a video on – I saw a video on the mass of black holes. Have you seen this thing? Did I show it to you? I don't oh, I it not. On. oh, my God, man. It's phenomenal. Um, I don't have it in die roll but I I will actually go back and put it in our show notes. But what it is is uh, a short video that talks about Einstein's uh, theory of relativity and what he was like, and also he found this, and then basically came up with our the smallest, I think this he was talking about taking the mass of the sun for one black hole and shrinking it down. Okay, so we, we know how big the sun is compared to Earth. Now taking that, and shrinking it down into the size of Manhattan. Not New York, Manhattan. A little dense. Yeah, a little dense. And that's what they're talking about. And then it goes into another black hole, and how many suns of our current sun would make up the mass of that black hole? And then it goes to another black hole, and then another one. What we're
1: talking about here is where you don't have to get, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking, you know, when, when the argument comes up, in a sci-fi game, like, well, I don't know if that's really how a black hole works because, oh, it right. sounds like that stupid black hole movie. You say, look, you know, your character knows enough about the physics to know that what I'm telling you may be a stretch. But, hey, remember that physicist, you know, you know, Lando 5 said that this, you know, this physicist Lando 5 from the whatever galaxy postulated that this is how a black hole really functioned. By God, it looks like you're actually thinking that it's true. So I think what you got to do is take, like I said, this is hitting me now. Is you've got to answer the questions of the characters is answering it in the world as opposed to out of the real world. Right. And maybe maybe that's where maybe that's maybe the light just dawned on my little my, my little pea brain here. But if I answer the question in the world, how come lightsabers, the force, just shut up? It's the force. Oh yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. You, you explain that you explain that to me. I get okay. Yeah, a little not sciencey, but hey, I'll go with it because it, it's in there. How do transporters work? Well, your character knows that if you manipulate X, Y, and Z with your knowledge and your engineering skills, this is how this functions. Oh, I get it. Oh, that's cool. It, it's in the game. I understand it. That's fine. Even if Brett's brain can't get a handle on the density of a black hole, that's okay as yeah. long as my character can get it. And if you answer it in the world, and I think I just answered my problem. So, our hey, nerds, I our feel nerd, better now.
0: Us nerds are a finicky bunch and because we can get hung up on – the actual science behind the science fiction, yet we are like, oh, Doctor Who, that's a freaking awesome TV show. And it's like, what? There's a freaking Time Lord going through space in a goddamn telephone booth. I mean, you Switch know what box. I'm Whatever, dude. <laughs> you, <laughs> no, know, know
1: what you know what
0: you're I'm funny. saying? It's like so weird that we what have I this think? goofy dichotomy that occurs in our brains, and it's like so wacky. It's just my, you know, I don't, come on, man, you know loosen we? up.
1: I think to go on what I just said, though, if we do it and you have a Doctor Who argument, you can't have – you have to argue Doctor Who in the Doctor Who-verse. Oh, yeah. You have to argue it there. And when you have the inconsistencies within Star Trek, you talk about in the Star Trek universe what happened with the transporter that, oh, yeah, how come it didn't work this time? That doesn't make any sense. So if you take that and translate it to your sci-fi game with using intellectual property or homebrew as I'm doing, you have to be able to answer it in the adventure in the story that you're doing as the characters would know it so they can say ah yes that's where we're at that totally makes sense i don't get it brett came up with something kind of wacky and what i think might be stupid known by our, our celestial physics but guess what according to this great romulan physicist this is totally legit all right i get it moving on
0: all right, so if you are playing a science fiction game, if you're either playing or running, let us know which one, and if it's homebrew, let us know how you approach some of the things that we're getting hung up on, or at least Sean's getting hung up on. We'd be interested to hear from you. Absolutely.
1: Um, I'll, take, I'll take advice on this one, definitely.
0: So let's go into die roll. Die roll 2d4, and today maybe 1d4, uh, points we bring up uh, at the end of the show that talk about just things that we want to bring up to gamers' attention. Um, either gaming related or geekdom, Brett. You, uh, I will start first, and you can take us out because you've got like three points. So, um, sure. one, one thing I put out there, which people are probably going to get tired of, because I, I subscribe to Space dot com on Google Plus, and they put out some really good articles. And I, I, I don't know, man, I just go through and go, oh, this is really cool. And I thought it was good with the theme, so I will, I will post about the density of black holes, which is not up there currently. I'll post that. But check it out. I showed it to my wife. She's like, whoa. And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's crazy. Um, but another one that I posted was theories on time travel and wormholes. So I don't know if it's good or bad that I post this because if you're going into science fiction gaming and you read this article, you would be like, that's totally not true. I read this article on it. It's not even possible. But this, I think, it will be kind of cool. It gives GMs a kind of good idea. Um, and it really it talks about a... Oh, a PhD, well-known astrophysicist and some of the theories that he believes. And I think he even contributed to the movie Interstellar. So if you've seen the movie Interstellar and you're kind of poo-pooing that, just read this article. It's it's pretty cool um, because I think it even goes into can, can humans actually go through uh, a wormhole or a black hole? Is it even survivable? Um, so check that out. That's all I got.
1: Brett... Actually, that, that type of thing is fun because even if you – from a sci-fi perspective, if you grab one of those articles, even if you don't grok the entire thing, you can say, hey, here's a theory. Wacko dude says you can never go through wormhole. Guess what I'm going to do in game? I'm going to prove that you can. Right. That's kind of cool. So I've got three of them. These are – I should hopefully be be able to keep it short. The first one is I um, just want to say happy holidays to everybody out there. I really appreciate everybody who's been listening to us. Sean and I are, Pretty thrilled that we're still still around and that uh, we actually get press from some of folks. So thank you very much. Um, the other piece I found from running for my kids this last session, I came up with these uh, – the guys have got to go to figure out this haunted monastery thing. And they meet this halfling sheriff. And the halfling sheriff is this kind of fat tub of guts. And he's pompous and whatever. And then he sends them off to go do something. And they meet this little halfling scout. And the halfling scout I named um, uh, Brownstone. And Brownstone smokes pipe. And it's, he's constantly doing that. Now you're messing with Mr. <laughs> Brownstone. So <I'm, laughs> So it's just, it, that's, the name came to my head, right? And I do this. And I adapt this attitude and this tone with him. That was days ago. And both of my boys are still talking about it. AJ Company, talk like Brownstone. That's so funny. I love that guy. He's my favorite NPC so far. NPC so far. That pay, rocks the They socks. pay more attention. They pay more attention to that stuff than they do the golden treasure they have. They don't give a shit how many plus one swords they have. They care that they figure out how to kill trolls and they met these cool NPCs. So that was that's really neat. To Sean's earlier point, the wonderment, just watching these kids. Just go, woo, this is amazing. It's so much fun. I yeah. can't, I just can't quit. It's awesome. The last one I have is I've done this before, and I think um, uh, Mo Toussaint, I'm going to uh, mention mention him one more time. <laughs> oh, man. Have, gonna, we'll just call oh, him MT. MT. This guy called MT. Yo, MT. So MT brings up this uh, thing Hey, holiday gaming. Is everybody, there other games out there? And I see this every Christmas. And. Well, people oftentimes, hey, there's this adventure with Chris Kringle, or there's this adventure with um, the Krampus, or something. So you're talking
0: the holiday themed games, holiday themed
1: games. Yeah. And what I do is I take it into a game based on, excuse me, a story session based on a holiday in my gaming world. In my Avalon world, I have a number of different holidays that happen throughout the year. I, I track the calendar, and when they get close to it, I spring one. And so one you year, do Yom
0: Yom Kippur? No, it was not <laughs> Hanukkah. Gaming. <laughs> I know, that, schmutz is going through and you're going to talk about it that, that could be fun
1: <laughs> uh, but what I did was I had this one it was the feast of the sea it was this because it's a, the seaport town of Avalon city of Avalon and I said everybody we're going to do this thing bring food that you think would would apply I had we had more shrimp than you could eat we had smoked salmon and this stuff and that and somebody made a stew we had gumbo it was just, just crazy like seafood fest and people just brought stuff and everything we did, it just took place on the day of the Feast of the Sea. And everyone just brought food. We brought stuff that we felt would be good desserts and everything that would fit the setting. It was just a lot of fun. In real so, life? In real life, we ate that stuff okay. while we gamed. Whoa. And uh, the whole thing was like, hey, how do the how do the characters deal with this? Where would they go? Is this, oh, shit, I, I should go see my, my family. I haven't seen my mom in a while. Or grandma, I should go make sure grandma comes in. Because every Feast of the Sea, we always, you know, they just expanded their characters a little bit more, talking about what their family tradition was for that holiday. Oh, I so see. Like, so you're oh,
0: doing yeah. holiday stuff in the game, not bringing <clears throat> like, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, that sounds super cool.
1: <laughs> well, just a little mix. Like I said, in real life, we had the seafood all over the place. You know, fish and crackers and stuff. It was just, it was just fun at for the players and and me to eat. And then while we're devouring this awesome food, we talked about. This is the thing that's happening. Feast to see, what are you doing? Your character has a wife and two kids. How do you guys celebrate this day? Oh, shit, Brad, I never thought about that. Well, I got to get grandma here. I got to go get my dad. I got to go do this. And some of us are like, yeah, I'm not going on that. We're not going down a dungeon today. My family spends 24 hours back home. Uh, say so that it was cool. Oh,
0: was my fun. God. Yeah. Role playing in game, a family <laughs> festivity during the holidays. That. I
1: didn't quite go that Holy way. shit. That it was fun though. It was. Are you going to get
0: just... married and settle down and stop that traveling you're doing every
1: day? Oh I've my... done that. I, we did a little <laughs> bit of that. We did a little bit of that. So you find <laughs> that girl yet? Still seeing the the whore from the tavern? That's oh, nice. You're gonna settle down.
0: You wanted to go off and like go and find some treasure. How's that working out for you? Uh, yeah, look at me. Look at look at all he has, Martha. You, you know his treasure. <laughs>
1: It was fun. It was fun. I just I encourage people to do it. It's it's a blast. It just made for a just a fun session. It was really lighthearted. It was a lot of fun. God, that would be And hilarious. that's all I got, man.
0: All right. So that's all we've got for episode fifteen science fiction games. Do us a favor and go on iTunes and write a review. I know some of you are like, Wow, oh, why do you guys keep pitching? We haven't pitched a lot of like, hey, go and go and do that for us. But what it does do is it does bubble us up to the top, um, or give us some added exposure to in iTunes. We kind of get up in the ranks, and if somebody does a search for gaming, we may show up, and it kind of comes up to that exposure. So if you just write a review, be honest. We we you know if you read if you leave us a half star or a five star, whatever, just be honest. That's cool. Um, otherwise, happy holidays from Sean.
1: And from Brett, Thank yeah,
0: and uh, keep on gaming uh, through the new year, new year. And uh, I think we have one more before I think the
1: get. We, we do. We should be able to get one more right after Christmas. So,
0: well, that's the end of the song.
1: I, well, shit, dude, we're done then.
0: That's the sign. Have a good all night. Right.
1: Bye. Good night, all. Bye.